You are listening to the Alouette's Flight Deck, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. All right, folks, we've been clear for takeoff. Welcome to Alouette's Flight Deck, podcast dedicated to Montreal Alouette's football. I am Tim Capper, along with Cliffy Day. Hey, Cliff, I think it's fair to say at this juncture, where we are currently on the calendar uh, and what it is with the uh, with the CFL situation, uh, I'm going to use a I'm going to use a uh, an aviation term, but we uh, we're currently in a holding pattern and still in a holding pattern. I guess it just depends on uh, uh, what number we are to uh, to lift off, you know? Yeah. I mean, we're not even taxing on the runway. Like, we are definitely in a holding pattern. Yeah. And that's just, you know, there's there's so many reasons why. But, uh, yeah. you know, it just, it is what it is. But, uh, you know, like, I, part of me wants to be positive because, yeah, well, it looks like we're finally starting to see some light at the end of the tunnel. But at the same time, it's like, we're not seeing enough light at the end of the tunnel or the tunnel just, it feels like we're looking at the exact same little pinpoint of light and it's not growing bigger it's not getting smaller, but it's not getting bigger either. So yeah, this, this truly is a holding pattern. Yeah. And by the way, before we, we get into it, we have a great interview coming up with Brandon London, um, that we did with him. So a, a, he was, I mean, he was the outer, his only pro team in the CFL. Mm -hmm. Um, and everybody remembers Brandon. What he's doing now is just amazing in television, and and, and his uh, his career has gone really, really well. So uh, stay tuned for that. Um, as you were saying, because you know you're talking about where we currently are, and I think this goes to the fact because we keep hearing things. You know, everybody, you know, all the talking heads keep making suggestions and stuff like that. And we, I think, we may have talked about it last episode when it came to. Um, were the Owls committed to playing? And everything that we've seen so far, and, and I think it's sort of sort of quick jabs that the team's getting at without actually saying it, is that the team's going to play. Mm-hmm. You know, the team was going to play no matter what. You know, even if it was saying, it was, oh, it was Toronto and it was Montreal that were holding it up. Well, there, there are positive signs everywhere that we are going to play. And I, yeah. I am still, and we're talking about it in a minute because, you know, our uh, the President Mario Ciccini had an interview uh, through the team that was released. And some of the things that he said is that some of the things that we have brought up, but some of the some of the uh, topics that were mentioned kind of kind of, I think not. I, obviously, we won't find out until the schedule comes out. because That's that's still in the holding pattern. Mm-hmm. But I, I think we're almost guaranteed to have our first home game in September. Mm-hmm. And what's been extremely positive, of course, as you, as you, uh, folks throughout Canada know, with the Montreal Canadiens having up to twenty five hundred fans in the in the stands at the Bell Center, yep. th- and that was the first event in Canada that had like the first sporting event in Canada that had actual fans in the stadium or arena, as it were. The fact that that went off, I'd say, pretty well, all things considered. Uh, I mean, we, we haven't heard any. Anything else since? Uh, and as far as this uh, next series uh, versus the Winnipeg Jets, I'm still not sure exactly. I haven't heard too much exactly about how it's going to go, but it sounds like based on the strength of that, that they're probably going to end up doing the same thing as having another 2,500 fans in the Bell Center for games three and four. 
and then we'll see. I guess we'll see what happens after that. But that has been taken as a very positive sign as to the eventuality of the CFL being able to have fans in the stands because, again, let's not forget the Bell Center is an enclosed arena versus all nine teams playing in open-air stadiums. Uh, well, I mean, with the exception of the BC Lions, but, of course, their roof can open. Yeah. But, uh, all, all this to say that fans in the stands, which has been the big sticking point for the Canadian Football League as far as being able to play in 2021, mm-hmm. that was a major hurdle that was cleared by, well, the Montreal Canadiens technically. But at least now you can take a look at that and say, see, we can do this. We are capable of doing this, provided everybody still does what they have to do as far as being vaccinated, wearing masks, all that fun stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, like that to me was a, a positive so I'm hoping that the league took notice of that as well. And even though they've been very hush-hush as far as, well, I mean, everything up until this point as far as the actual getting back to playing in 2021, other than saying we will be playing in 2021, at least now they can sort of take that example with the Montreal Canadiens and put it to practical use. Right. Whether or not they do, only time's going to tell. And ideally, they definitely should be having a plan in motion now like right now and ideally letting people know what's happening based on government regulations uh working with the stadium crews and working with the players in the league and everything like that by now as far as i'm concerned in in june especially when you want to have training camp in july you may want to get on and you know getting everything finalized getting a, a, a new schedule finalized get everything finalized so that we we the fans know what the heck is going on and how we can plan our the rest of our year accordingly. Right. And we'll talk about what was mentioned in, in this interview and, the, and then we'll move on. But speaking of the schedule itself, I, I, I was, uh, I've been, uh, I'm under the impression from what I am told that the schedule has been delayed um, because there are some hiccups with some other teams and dates and, uh, you know, and that type of thing. So, that may be the entire hiccup for the for the CFL's to, you know revised fourteen game schedule, but I guess you know we say this watch it be, watch it be released the day after that we that we tape this. It always happens. So, well, and that's the the blessing and the curse of a podcast, right? Is mm-hmm. that the minute we put something out, something that gets actually set in stone, released to the world, boom! What better way for news to drop than uh, you know? Uh, on the heels of a podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So <laughs> rendering everything that we've talked about completely obsolete or uh, sometimes justifying it, but more often than not, just kind of yeah, yeah. making us look like dummies in the yeah. end. But. So as I said, the, the, the lead, uh, the team did a, an interview with, uh, with uh, Marcia Cheney, the president. And the first question was, is one of the things we were just talking about there, Cliff, he says, uh, you know, will the beer return to play this season? And by the way, this is fully the, the entire video Interview is available, I think, in French and in English over at the Montrealouette's website. Um, but the answer to that question was, is, is the news is encouraging, encouraging all around Canada, including in Ontario, where which was not the case a few weeks ago. What is also encouraging is that the vaccination campaign, which is well underway uh, in Quebec, and with the objective set by the Legault government at, for the end of August, it leaves us even more optimistic to hold our first home game at the beginning of September, which that was my speculation. By the way, as I said before, that was my speculation that we were going to have our first home game in September. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, sorry, at the beginning of September at the latest. Uh, the newest calendar for the season should be unveiled shortly. The vaccination is the key to all this. 
So for those who have not gotten their vaccine yet, now is the time to do so. And with the Quebec government announcing today the uh, the calendar for how people can now move up their sec- to get their second dose, uh, they changed it from 16 weeks to 8 weeks from your first one, um, all through June. By the end of June, everybody 12 and up will have the option if they want to, to reschedule and get their second vaccine quicker. So, mm-hmm. which essentially means that everybody could be fully vaccinated well before this, uh, this first September home game, which it's possible. Yeah. Bodes extremely well, especially if they do decide to say that, okay, if you want to attend a CFL game, you have to be fully vaccinated. That way you can say, yes, yes, I am 100%. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you got to wear masks, then fine. If you still have to wear masks, then great. Still wear I've, masks, no I've already said, I, you know what? Uh, I will probably wear a mask the entire season. Sure. Uh, I, I think yeah. that that will be me. That will be me. And you know, I'm sure you're not going to be the only one if, if that's what they mandate. Like, I mean, to me, it's, I think they will. as I've said, from from essentially from from, from jump or jump street right away the one thing i've said is you tell me what i need to do to be able to watch a live football game Mm -hmm. and i'll do it i mean i as it stands right now i don't see anything that would i haven't seen anything that would make me say no i'm not doing that like you just like i said if i have to be vaccinated i have to wear i still have to wear a mask even after being vaccinated i still have to do this this and this just just tell me what you need to do yeah you i mean st- that- you still need to you still need to wear a mask because still you technically still still can get it and you still can give it even if you're asymptomatic so right and uh, if and if we can't if like for example you and i can't sit together in our section if we have to be a few seats down or a few rows down or something like that so be it if, we'll it, if be that's there. how it has to be yeah exactly yeah um Speaking of fans, uh, as opposed to a minimum of fans requested in the stands in order to play, he says they're not. There's not a precise number requ- uh, required for now. The Quebec government currently mentions a limit of 2,500, which we were talking about before, uh, in stadiums until August 31st. But once again, uh, logically, this limit should increase based on the improvement of the situation. Once again, our goal shared by everyone is to be on the field in 2021. On top of that. Who will have priority in the case of limited capacity of spectators in the stadium in 2021? Definitely our season ticket holders. If a limit of fans imposed in the stadium this year, they will have priority. This number will be decided by the government. So, so far so good. So we'll see. Um, From here, something that we have brought up before, Cliff, um, and it makes me wonder if this was asked, if there have been more, I see, I don't know where, anyways, the, the question is, it was basically the importance having Quebec players on the roster i know you have mentioned this before i know we have sometimes um questioned the amount you know it's not necessarily uh where you're from but how good you are that type of thing when it comes to canadians mm-hmm. uh very good quite very good answer though because uh you know uh, our general manager has repeated over and over again that the best football pool in the country is quebec when talent is equal the local talent will be given priority. We also want to give them the chance and opportunity to play in front of their people. We are Quebec's team, and on top of that, our name is associated to one of uh, one of Quebec's pride, that being the first French-Canadian squadron. But in the end, the success of the team will be on everyone's shoulders, all the players, no matter where they come from or their native language. What, what are your thoughts when you hear that? 
Because I know, as I said, we, we talked about it last episode when we were talking with Eric Delorier about, you know, who has been drafted and stuff like that. But when you hear Mario say that, do you feel that they're getting... Does it sound like the team is getting questioned for how many Quebecers that they're drafting? I'm sure they've received tons of questions. I mean, it's undeniable that this past year alone, the the team had five draft picks, and they were all... All of them were of Francophone nature. Uh, I think four of them... Uh, yeah, four of them were actually born in Quebec. Mm-hmm. The fifth one being in Orleans, Ontario, which is considered Franco-Ontario in some in some aspects. So, I mean, like... The, hey, there is. Hey, a, I, would there is call, a near- I would call Castleman more Franco Ontario than than yeah. than, than Orleans. Uh, agreed. But but, <laughs> but when you're talking about Eastern Ontario, typically it is considered yeah. Franco Ontario. Hawkesbury. Yeah. <laughs> Hawkesbury I mean, even more so. Actually, I think they're probably on the same level. Hawkesbury and Castleman are on the same same level. Yeah, if you if you told me that uh, Chris Fournier, who was the draft pick that was from Orleans, if you told me he was from Hawkesbury or Castleman, which are predominantly francophone cities within Ontario. Yep, right. And and by the way, for those who don't know, that literally Hawkesbury is right over the Quebec border. Um, <laughs> literally right over the, over the Quebec border uh, from uh, uh, Grenville, mm-hmm. Grenville sur sur la Rouge, and <laughs> Castleman is the first. It's the first city after the Quebec Ontario border heading towards Toronto, uh, heading towards Ottawa. Well, first major city. Sorry, I mean, yeah, not... major city. Well, yeah. en- enough so that that you're able to get off, and it, it's like a, it's like it was built to be for for pl- people to get off so they can go eat or whatever, whatever. You know what I mean? So, but but yeah, either so way, it, I digress. It's just, it's essentially a truck stop. Let's 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 not get ourselves. I... I think Castle's like I call it my Castle more than a truck stop. <laughs> um, but but sorry, is, I, I digress. Go, go continue. Uh, yeah, great way to, to to veer away from it. But yeah. yes, all this to say that uh, yes, the, the immediate narrative with the Alouettes is yeah, it's going to be all French players or it's all going to be Quebec players. I'm like, okay, I, I can see where a lot of people would see that uh, on uh, you know upon first look. But uh, at the end of the day, as I said, talent is what's what matters. Like you look at the players that were drafted, and they are very talented players. Yes. Look at the players that have been signed by the Alouettes, that are either francophone or from Quebec. Yes, and they're talented. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Like there is a lot of very talented football players, yeah. and if you were to ask other players on the roster, including our quarterback Vernon Adams Jr., how how many times has he said in, in interviews recently that this team is loaded, this yeah. team is stacked with talent? I'm like yes, and I'm sure he's not just referring to his receivers who are American or his. Uh, you know, his running back, who is American, I think he's referring to the entire team, which is a blend of American, Canadian, English, French, black, white. You know, there's, there's a very diverse team in the sense mm-hmm. that there is definitely a lot of talent. At the end of the day, talent wins out. And that's what it comes down to is that there's a lot of very talented Quebecers who play football. In the CFL. A lot. Really? A lot. Yep. And there's a lot of very talented Quebecers who play in the NFL. Mm-hmm. So obviously the thought is, holy crap, Quebec can really produce some good football players. We can, yeah. Some of them do end up going down south, unfortunately. <laughs> some of them do end up staying up north and playing in Canada. And you know what? If Montreal is smart enough to to fo- to foster and sign all of these teams or all these, uh, these Quebec-born players – which again, everybody else has the right to draft and sign too as they please. There's no, there's no law that says, oh no, sorry, if you're from Quebec, you can only be drafted or signed by the Alouettes. Sorry, no, it's not like that at all. You can sign if you. Like, these players are talented enough to play on any football team. 
No, it's, if, if, if you don't want to sign them, that's on you. And, 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 by, and by the way, I, I maybe we're here because they feel that they're getting slack because of how many. Yes, if you think about it, you know, Danny Machocha had a great relationship. He brought up a lot of these guys when he was the head coach and essentially general manager at, at UDM. Mm-hmm. So it, it's completely understandable. I mean, we didn't hear if there was any backlash from uh, from the from the elk. Um, drafting a player from Al- University of Alberta, we didn't hear anything when you know the Riders drafted somebody from Saskatchewan. From Saskatchewan, from, yeah, from University mm-hmm. of Saskatchewan. So it shouldn't really matter because it is football. You you, mm-hmm. you draft for talent. CFL, the CFL draft, as we know, as we mentioned last week, last show is different. It's it maybe is usually futures, but mm-hmm. still, if you look at the if you look at the history of Quebecers in the CFL, they've been it's, ever since the French football uh, university teams have come into prominence. It, it's Quebec has been a hotbed for for players in the CFL and just players in general. Mm-hmm. And it's been like the past five years has been mostly Quebec teams in the Vanier Cup, whether winning it or losing it. But uh, University of Laval or University of Montreal, mm-hmm. they've been in the mix. That's just again. That, that just speaks to good football, good football programs, being able to recruit properly and helping develop these players into becoming honest-to-goodness professional football yeah. players. Whether they do, they apply their trade down south or in the CFL for any of the nine teams there, Quebec is, the, without question, one of the best football factories, and it has been for the past uh, 20 years at least. Yeah. So, and, you know, even to me, to, to this day, you know, how, how dominant they've been in Quebec— I'm sorry, but the Rougiore are are my are the team to hate. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it, and that's the, the the team that's been most closely associated with being run as though they were an NCAA team. Like like as far as scouting goes, and you oh, talk to, talk oh, to any of the scouts that are down in the states, they will talk about how Laval is run essentially Actually, like an all, NCAA team. It, well, it's all French. It's all, it's all the French universities. It's been, unfortunately, it's be, because. Concordia, because McGill, because Bishops, because well, Bishops is not in the Quebec League anymore for football, but still, right? Um, Sherbrooke, UDM, Laval, the way that they were brought up, their ba- as you said, their ba- with all the boosters and all the recruiting, on, on they have figured it out. They're ba- as you said, they're basically run like a pro team. They really are. Yep. It, or as you said, the great analogy is run by NC- like an NCAA team. Yeah, and when you're scouting football, regardless of whatever league it is, that's one thing you're going to take a look at is just how is this organization run? How is this university preparing its football players, not just for on the field, but also off the field as well? And the one thing that you hear over and over again is just how good of a football player you've got, Mm -hmm. but also how well-developed an athlete and how well-developed a academic player are these guys in, in Quebec. Yeah. And that's one thing that the, the one takeaway that they've gotten a lot is it's extremely comparable to what you see in programs down in the States. And if you're an NFL scout and you, the, the fact that you're willing to come all the way up to Quebec to take a look at a player, you're not just going up there for the fun. You're not going up there for the puts in. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> you want yeah. to go for to see who is this stud that they found. And sure enough, look at the players that have been signed and are going to be playing in the NFL. The fact that our, our first draft pick this year, Pierre Olivier Lestage, He's been getting rave reviews by the Seattle Seahawks so from their coaching staff. Like, and this is a team that is desperately needing an O lineman. So, like, I, 
I, I applaud the Alouettes for being able to keep, you know draft and retain his rights, but at the same time, like I don't think this guy's going to come here for a good while. And yeah. so be it. I mean, I guess that's the way you have to look at it. Is okay. Well, eventually he may come here, and we'll be ready for him. But I'm, I'm looking at it like the what I've seen so far, and even though it's early, even though it's just uh, OTAs that are going on right now in NFL camps, it's just I just don't see this guy playing for the Alouettes anytime soon. Yeah. Definitely not this year. I, yeah. I would definitely say this year, forget about it. Okay. Next um, year, maybe. But uh, from everything I'm hearing, like I think Pierre-Olivier Lestage could be a Seattle Seahawk for at least a couple of years anyways. Yeah. Uh, last question that was that was mentioned, is like the, uh, it was brought up, was about uh, it's been 21 months without playing. It says, how the players manage? He goes, uh, the players are professionals. Uh, and they did everything in their power to stay in shape. Uh, look, what, look what Vernon Adams did just recently. We mentioned that before. Mm-hmm. Uh, the good thing about the situation is that the guys will be well-rested following this long interruption. Their bodies may not be as tired, and those who had injuries will have recovered. On top of that, our medical team and trainers have been in regular contact with the players to make sure that they'll be ready for training camp. So interesting information. I said, it's not, I'm sure it's a lot of information that we have heard already but it just goes to show you um they no matter what you we're hearing from the talking heads the owls have been one of the teams that are ready to play Mm -hmm. so certainly sounds like they're a team that's ready to play and itching to play and desperate to play and you know that wants it bad enough like not just and not just the players but we're talking about like the administration and the owners and like sounds like everybody that's associated with montreal os they sound like they really want to play football in 2021. Yeah, for sure. I mean, these reporters, I mean, like they, I understand, you know, the, the clout won't chase itself, as I always say. But at the same time, it's like, okay, well, you're saying this, that they're saying nay, but it sounds, like, it sounds a lot like they're saying yay. So I'm not saying you're a liar, but maybe you don't quite have all your facts on this. Like, let's, yeah. you know, like. Uh, like Some, sometimes, sor- sometimes insiders are not necessarily insiders. They're quote unquote insiders. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I'll I know, and and as I've always said too, like there's three sides to a story: your side of the story, my side of the story, and usually somewhere in the middle is the truth. Yeah. Um, when we get back after speaking with uh, Brandon Lennon, uh, talk about uh, a couple of things that have popped up recently, uh, some cool stuff when it comes to um, additions at the boutique, additions for us. Do I dare say YouTube, uh, and a lot more. So uh, uh, we'll be right back. On the line with us now is a gentleman who spent a, uh, uh, a short time with the Montreal Alouettes during his football career. But you know what? Hey, hey it, it, we, he was, uh, it, as long as he was with the Alouettes, because we were his only CFL team. On the line with us now, upcoming television star, or hopefully star, Brandon London. Hey, Brandon, thanks for joining us. Guys, thanks for having me on, man. Anytime I get an opportunity to uh, show love, to the CFL, it's fans, podcast, media, like I'm all I'm all about it because you guys are the ones that gave me my start. So, you know, um, thanks for having me on. Man, no problem, man. Now, hey, what I wanted to know first uh, out of the gate is obviously when you had a you had a, a short career in the in the NFL, obviously a time with the, the Giants, the Dolphins, and my Pittsburgh Steelers. That's cool actually. Yeah. Um when you were, I guess, when you were released by the the Steelers off their uh, practice squad. Or what? Um, how did you hear about the CFL, and what got you interested in coming up here? 
So I already knew about the CFL because the Alouette used to come to our practices. They had a scout that used to come there all the time. I believe it was Joey Abrams that used to scout us. Uh, before he was like assistant general manager and stuff, he used to come. And uh, I don't know if you guys remember when Shannon James and uh, Karan Williams ended up being on the Alouette together. So we all played together at UMass. So Jim Pop told me I'd been on their board or the neg list for for quite some time, and they just wanted to see how my NFL career was going to go. So uh, when I got released by the Dolphins after playing with them for a year, uh, I sat out an entire year of, of, of the NFL um, trying to get on, trying to, you know, I had a couple workouts, but I didn't get signed. So Jim Pop called me late, late in uh, the CFL season and was like, hey, you know, I understand you want to give the NFL thing another shot, but you, you're on our necklace. You're someone we've been tracking since uh, college. And how about this? You don't know much about the CFL. How about we fly you up for the Eastern Conference Finals? And that's when they played uh, BC. And uh, in, in in the Olympic Stadium, uh, so I went up for that game. They like blew BC out, like smashed them. And then, but they took me out that night. And you know, I was hanging with Quran and those guys. And you know, I met SJ, met Jay Rich, and all them. And it was just something where it was like it, it changed my it changed my perception about the NFL. I mean, about the CFL, mm-hmm. because when you're when you're when you're American and you don't know much about that league, you kind of look at it as a demotion. In a sense, because we grow up, our dreams is to get to the NFL, to make it in the NFL, have a, have a strong career in the NFL. So when people are like, oh, I went to the CFL and all, you don't know much about the league, you look at it as kind of, I, I didn't make it in that sense. So when I went up there and I saw, what, 55,000 people in uh, Olympic Stadium and I got to hang out with the team and I was, you know, they brought me behind the scenes because Jim Pop was like, we really want you up here. We want you, we're, we're going we're gonna to show you everything about the CFL, everything about the Alouette, you know. So I left, that, I left that visit thinking in the back of my head, like, you know what? Things don't work out for whatever reason. I know I have a home. Mm-hmm. I know I have a place to go play professional football. So that time when I tried to make the team with the Steelers and all, you know, Antonio, they drafted Antonio Brown, Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, they brought back. Uh, Antoine Randallel, they brought in Arnez Battle. It was kind of like an uphill, uphill battle I was facing in that sense. So when I got released, uh, the UFL was going on. I'm thinking like, oh, why don't I stay in the NFL? I had a UFL workout with Hartford somebody, forget their names. The Colonials. But they didn't, yeah, the Colonials. But they didn't sign me. And I was kind of like, I'm, I was glad because I was like, I don't want to play in the UFL. So when uh, Kerry Watkins got hurt against Winnipeg one night, I remember because it was CFL on Friday night TV on ESPN, and I'm watching with, with some of my friends. We're just watching the game. We're like, yo, the Alouettes are playing. Um, Kerry Watkins got hurt, and I knew. I told my friends. I told some of my best friends. I go, yo, I bet you I get a call within the next day or two. And I was kind of joking around, but I was kind of semi-serious. A day or two later, Jim Pop called me. and was like, it's time. And I was like, I'm ready to go. And the Alouettes were doing a bye week that week. And I went up there, man. They flew me up there, got up there, met Darren Diedrich, uh, met Emmanuel, I forget his last name. They, you know, they had me show, show me around and stuff. I stayed in the Candlewood uh, right off of Rene Levesque where all the players stay when they used to come up there. Mm-hmm. And we had those practices that week. And I just, I just, I wish I could cuss for I just effing dominated. 
dominated throughout practices those weeks. I remember Mark Tressman telling Jay Rich and SJ to watch out for me because he thought I was going to be this whole cocky, brash individual up there because I dominated that first practice. And after that first practice, when I went and hung out with the receivers and they knew, like, okay, this kid's for real, this kid's for real, that's when I fell in love and was like, you know what? I've got a career up here. I can make a career of this place. That's this. I mean, was there any anything that you had, you had to get? Because you'd seen the game, you hadn't played it that much, but what was, for you as a football player who basically playing 50-yard football, what was the biggest adjustment for you when it came to the, uh, to the Canadian game? The waggle. Dude, I was so ass at the waggle. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're already running full speed and then there's someone trying to jam you at the line, you know, like press man in the States, like you're used to just, you know, you're already there. You're yeah. already stationary. Mm-hmm. But then you go and you're like, Jay Rich and SJ really had to, and Brian Bratton, they really had to teach me the waggle when I first got there because I was so awkward. So it was just, it was weird to me. It was like, yo, I'm already like almost full speed. And then I got to navigate through someone trying to press me. And then I got to get to my depth. And then break, you know, it was, it was, it was just, it was very awkward when I first started. So I think the biggest thing was the waggle. Uh, and then the second, I think that extra defender, you know, 12 guys instead of 11, you know, you're, you're so used to identifying coverages yeah. to where it's like, all right, it's, you know, two high safeties, middle of the field, open or closed. But in the CFL, you can have two high safeties and you can have a third safety in the middle you know, mm-hmm. so it, it kind of, you know, reading coverages and all and what we wanted to do, that kind of threw me off at first. But, you know, when you play with a guy like Anthony Cadell, you got Kerry Watkins around. You know, he was hurt, but he was still around. You're playing with professionals like Brian Brad and Chanel Richardson. They break it down to you. And, and Jim Pop kind of told me already, you ain't playing this year. He's like, we're not – that six weeks, we're not going to play you, really. You know, I played the second half of the last game of the season versus Toronto, but they're like, we're, you're going to play, we're going to put you in IR, and then you'll come back next year, and then you can compete, and you can, do, you know, you can show why we brought you up here. But for that six weeks, that six weeks left in the season and then, you know, the playoffs, I was doing practice squad stuff. I was, just, I was dominating and having fun getting adjusted to the game. That's cool. Was there any was was there any other learning curves that you had to figure out while you're in in that six weeks uh, of uh, practice practice squad time? Yeah, how to get to how to get to Olympic Stadium on the, the Montreal Metro line. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was like you know usually you go to a place it's like half and half half English half whatever the na- native language is that Montreal it was so hard to navigate through there from time to time I got so so lost in the beginning, but, uh, I think the, 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 I think the second part of having is the rules, you know, because remember that year, the year I came in, remember it was that crazy. We won a game that year through some, like, it was like a rouge, but then they kicked it out, but then they kicked it back in. Oh, yeah, the game in, Tor- yeah. Out, yeah, the game in like, Toronto. I'm Yeah. The game in Toronto. And I'm sitting there like, what the, is this soccer or is this football? <laughs> like, what, why is everybody picking up the ball and just, kicking it to the other side i had no clue but we were at uh i forgot oh man it was called like all-star cafe or all-star bar uh and uh right off of saint catherine and i was watching it with a bunch of the practice squad guys and you know ir guys and we're watching that game and like the canadian guys 
they knew what was going on, so they're like, oh. But so you're trying to like follow their excitement on what's going. Like one second you're like, ah, oh, the next thing you're like, oh, and you're like, ah, oh. and I'm like, am I supposed to cheer? Or <laughs> he kicked it, but he kicked it like it was, you know, the rules, you know, because when you're playing, when you're in the game and you're suited up, you better know anything and everything about the rules because you need to use it to your advantage. You know, you you never want to be that guy that took the knee in the end zone with the ball instead of kicking it out mm-hmm. when, you know, your team's down, you know, your team's down or something, you know, or that team, the team you're playing is you're tied. And if you take a knee, they get that point. So I think I spent a lot of time trying to figure out the rules and Tressman was a rule guy. So it was always like homework and stuff that you had to, that would get quizzed on. And, you know, coach Brady, Marcus Brady at that time, I come in do quizzes and I'm like, Man, I feel like high school all over again, man. This is, is this the SATs? Like it was, but the rules was something I had to get adjusted. You guys never did a. I'm trying to remember, and Cliff, you could help me too. You never were a part of one of the other unique aspects of the of the Canadian game where you were on side and then the kicker, the punter, punted the ball, and you could go down and try to uh, try to recover the ball. Were you, were you ever a part of that rule at all? Yeah. I did that against Winnipeg one year because um, I, I was that guy. Me and Skip, me, I mean, me, not Skip, me and Chip Cox yeah. would be our gunners. Um, and there was one year, I think it was a field goal, they tried to do it. They tried to make it into like a jump ball situation. And I think uh, Sean White, Whitey, kicked a hell of a ball and I dropped, <laughs> I dropped it or something. I just remember, like, everyone being like, bro, like, we worked on it all week. <laughs> you know, it was something that we had. Like, we had it down. We knew Winnipeg was going to do, the, you know, they were going to play X. They were going to do this. And I, I messed it up. So, you know, I think when it comes to coaching, the Tressman era was absolutely phenomenal. Tom Higgins brought in some decent coaches. The Dan Hawkins thing was a shit show. But <laughs> we'll agree with when you. When it comes Don't to like coach, <laughs> the coaching and understanding the game, I think Mark Trustman did a great job breaking down the game to the players, especially the new American players. Oh, yeah. Um, being that you were, I've been a part of all these strange quirks that, are, that we love in this Canadian game, does it help? Does it now when you're talking about the game to other, other people, other players that you know who are thinking about where they might want to go if it's not going to the NFL, because you've, you've lived it, are you able to give them a, 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 basically a good reference on the CFL? Oh, absolutely, man. I think, I, you know, I think I'm a bigger ambassador of the CFL than The Rock, you know, than <laughs> Dwayne Johnson. And, you know, because, I, I, you know, he always tells that. He always tells the story about, yo, I played with Calgary, and then, you know, I got cut and all that. I didn't get cut. I never got cut when I was up there. Yeah. I got a chance to get four solid years of football in the Canadian Football League. I knew what it was like to be on TS- TSN. I knew what it was like to be on sports TSN Sports Center Top Ten Highlights. You know, I knew what it's like to go to Toronto, play a game, stay in the Radisson right at the the, the the field, and then go out to Moxie and go out to you know Trist and those bars mm-hmm. and stuff with the players. After the game, I got the full Canadian experience. So when I tell American, when American, you know, you know, I do stuff with the New York Giants. Yeah. So when one of the players that I've been cool with reaches out to me and is like, hey, you know, my, my NFL career is kind of done. What do you think about Canada? I am the first person to be like, go, go up there. If you still want to play professional football, you want to feel like a professional. You want to even feel like 
you know, like you, you, you want to feel like you matter, go play, go play in Canada. Because the fans up there, they treat you, they, you know, if you're Jamel Richardson up there, remember the year Jay Rich almost had 2,000 yards receiving. Yeah. He was the Odell. He's, he was Odell. He was Odell. He got Odell treatment up there. We That's would go true. out to eat, rock star treatment out there, you know, hanging with Cavillo, going to his, his functions, his foundation functions. You see how people treat you up there. And that's, that's when you play professional ball, yeah, it's about the love of the game. Yeah, I play it for the love of the game. But you also you want some ad, ad, admiration as well. And the Canadian football gave me all that. It gave me access to so much while I was up there. I kind of look back and I wish Montreal, the city, was in Toronto because Toronto had so much going media-wise, mm-hmm. and that's where I wanted to go into. You know, I couldn't do uh, Ed BS because I couldn't speak French or anything. But the people, Matt Ross and, and Mo Khan at TSN, they gave me they gave me my start on the radio show on because Mo knew Mo Mo me and Mo Khan has become really good friends. Mo knew I wanted to do TV, but I needed reps. I needed to learn the business. So. I tell the players who, who may end up going up there, go. don't think of it like, oh, you, oh, I have to go to Canada. Don't disrespect my league like that. You be proud that you're going up to Canada. And if you ball out, they're going to show you love. And you're going to get a chance to go back to the state. But you can build a career up there, and you can have a great time up there. So I, I think I'm the CFL's biggest brand ambassador. There you go. I mean, like that's if that's not a – an infomercial, if you will, just a chance to really sell CFL to any prospective American, whether it's a viewer, a player, broadcaster, what have you. Like that's the best way, as far as I'm concerned, as to how to sell the CFL to someone who's kind of on the fence or not too sure. There you go. That that's the blueprint right there, my man. Yeah, um, Brandon, when you when you look at your time with the Alouettes, you know, twenty officially twenty eleven to twenty fourteen. Um, what are you going to remember the most? Because as you're saying. Dan, you had Dan Hawkins, you had Mark Tressman, you had, yeah, but you also, in that time also, you had the goat, one of the goats of the CFL, Anthony Calvillo, retires. So you went through a whole slew of emotions in that short period of time that you're in Montreal. What are you going to remember the most? Hmm. I think on my deathbed, the number one CFL moment highlight that pops up would be. <laughs> No, because I'm I'm not trying to make it about like partying or yeah. anything like that. I'm not, I'm really trying to think like like uh, I think it would be hmm I think it would be there was uh, and I, I think so the 2012 season when I had my best season up there before I had that knee injury yeah and all uh, I think my moment I would take away was gaining and earning and commanding the respect of my teammates. And when I got it, it was a feeling like no other. Because that season, that 2011 season, you know, I was kind of, I was the Z receiver out to the field. You know, Jay Rich was having his year. SJ, and those guys were already established. So 2012 came in, Jay Rich got hurt. And that was a year where Tressman was really feeding me the ball. But I came up that year and I was calling myself Wavy off of a rapper called Max B. His name's Max B. He's incarcerated right now in this state. He's like, he's super awesome. So, so 
when I got up there, when I got up that, that, that preseason, I was talking all types of trash to everybody. And they, they, a coach would call me Brain. I'm like, no, call me Wavy. I made, it, made sure everybody called me Wavy because I was just cooking. I was just, I was on a mission. We used to play against Winnipeg. And remember when they had Hefney, Johnny Sears Jr., uh, Javon Johnson. They had those guys, that, and Alex uh, Stuber, Stuber. We used to battle against those guys. So one of my good friends, one of my really best friends from uh, college, uh, Brandon Collier, played for Winnipeg at that time. He was a D lineman. And he told me that Paul La Police had me on the board or something, their, their little like board in the locker room, where I was like, call me wavy or I'm dominating this or that or whatever. And he was telling me how they were like, yo, y'all better stop this guy. He better not be on Sports Center talking this the next day and all that stuff. I think that moment right there when my boy told me that, that means you it's one thing when you get when you get respect from your peers, but when you know other people in the league are starting to plan for you and you got that you've earned that bullseye on your back, I think that moment right there is what I'll take right there because like I said, guys go up there thinking, oh, I'm going to see a field. I'm going to have a million yards and uh, a million catches. Like, nah, bruh, it doesn't happen like that. These guys can play too. They're just a little shorter than the NFL corner. Or, you know, they're just a little, someone maybe a little slower than one of those freaks in the NFL. So to gain that type of respect throughout the league that year, that was that was my thing. That was I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that to the grave for sure. That's cool. Um, being, being that you were on the uh, you were on the team at the time that AC went down, I haven't had a chance to talk to many players and ask about this. But what what were your what were your feelings when you saw AC go down um, with the with the the concussion that basically ended his career? Uh, I mean, seeing a, a, a legend like that go down, like it hurt, man. Like it, it hurt really. Because one, you're like, wait, who's going to be the quarterback that's coming in for him? <laughs> Two, you're like, you know, this guy has—he's been a staple in this league. He's this guy. Yeah, I don't—I don't think people understand. Like, I, people don't understand quarterback play on how there can be a drop off in quarterback play when like a great goes down or a great doesn't play anymore. So when I when that happened, like you're sitting there, you're like wait a minute, this is the guy who helped me get adjusted to this league. This is the guy who, if I was partying too much or something, he'd pull me to the side and be like, Bilan, lock in, focus up, I need you. You know what I'm saying? He always looked out for me. And even, remember, he was my receiver coach in 2015 during the preseason when I retired. Yeah. So I didn't go to Tom Higgins first. I went to Ace after that practice. And I was like, Ace, I don't got it anymore. You know, and he under he he understood it, and he's the one that like he was the one that was like let's go talk to Coach Higgins, you know, and then after that he was like let's go talk to Pop, you know. So when he went down, not knowing that we were gonna have that moment later on in, the, in my life, when he went down, I felt like I felt like like I personally lost a legend, you know, mm-hmm. not only for front teammate but friendship or someone who's just going to look after you, period. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it, it hurt. It hurt us all, bro. It hurt us all. No, it's definitely never easy losing someone like that. Yeah. And then everything else that sort of ensued afterwards because you you went through another a number of quarterbacks for the rest of your time with the Alouettes. You went through a good, I'd say, five or six quarterbacks as they're trying to find the next AC. Uh, 
in your opinion, like of, of the players, that, of the quarterbacks that you had at that time, who do you think could have been the closest to potential wise? Do you think who do you think could have been the closest to coming to an AC level? Uh, to an AC level, res- respectfully, no one, man. Like we're talking about Anthony Cavillo. We're talking about when he broke the record. Brett Favre, Dan Marino were were doing the jumbotron, congratulating that guy. And when I say no one, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to anyone that I play with because people can be like, oh, Brandon London was no Milt Steve, was no Milt, was no uh, G-Roy. I'm just saying, like, we weren't going to see that. Who I thought could have, like, taken the Alouette to another level. I thought Crompton, man. I thought my boy Jay Crompton. He really came in with a lot of confidence, man. He wasn't hyped. You know, like, he he wasn't the one that came in, was, like, overly hyped or anything. He came in and, you know, he played well. I wish Alouettes never got rid of Ricky Santos, though, because I used to play against Ricky Santos in college when he was at New Hampshire. I think that if, if, if Santos didn't have to play behind Cavillo, he would have had a shot to be like Bo Levi Mitchell to, like, really show what he can do. I feel like, you know, Santos. But playing with a guy like Tanner Marsh, playing with Crompton, man, those guys were – those guys were they they you you can tell they wanted it you know so you when you play with guys like that you're like you're so excited to be involved you know with guys like that but you know just when you lose a legend like that man it's hard to replace a legend you know it's so true and it's you'd be amazed Brandon how many quarterbacks basically withered and died waiting for AC to step aside or just go down because so many guys were left holding the clipboard and that that was all they could do guys like. If you believe this, Cliff Kingsbury and Jesse Palmer are former Montreal Alouettes that at one point had backed up AC. Yeah, man. I, you know, you don't. People don't understand. Like most people don't understand. It's like, yo, you're you're playing behind. You're you're playing behind a legend. You know, you gotta wait your turn. And like you said, like if you don't make some sort of, if you don't make some sort of business decision or career move to move on from an Alouette a Winnipeg or whoever needed a quarterback or go to a place where you can compete, you're not going to get that job. You know, you're just going to be, you just like you said, you're just going to wither your career away. Or you just do second and goal or, 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 or fourth and one quarterback sneaks like Adrian McPherson, you know? So, you know, playing behind, a, you know, I, I, the guys that play behind a, a legend like that, I'm sure they learned a lot, especially with having an AC and a Mark Tressman. But I feel like those guys should have left the Alouettes and went on somewhere else with that knowledge and that confidence. I think they would have been beasts. Now, in in March of, of 2013, Brandon, the Owls signed you to a three-year contract extension. But you never got to actually complete that extension. Cliff and I wanted to know, because in June, of, June 4th of, of 2015, you announced your retirement from the CFL. Knowing that you had two years left on this contract of yours— what made you decide to say, you know what, Montreal, I've had fun, but I, I'm, I'm going to be moving on? Honestly, man, I never, I haven't really like said this in, like, out loud in public. I signed that deal knowing I was already checked out because that 2012 season when I had, I, was at, I think I averaged like 19.6 yards per catch. I think I was like 140, 40 yards away from 1,000 yep. yards. We had still had four games left and the playoffs. That's the moment when I was, and I, I keep this moment. I'm going to have this, when I get a man cave, I'm going to frame that moment. 
when I'm down against Toronto, because I hit that ball guy, I forget his first name, but he went down to play with the Saints and all, the Lance Ball, Marcus Ball, whatever. You know that linebacker, he used to wear number six, light-skinned guy with the dread. Marcus Cavillo Ball, was right. scrambling. Scram- Cavillo was scrambling. And I went and hit him so Cavillo could get the first down, and that's when I bucket tore my meniscus. And right there, I, th- I tried to get up, and I threw my helmet down because my knee had locked, and I couldn't get up. And I knew my season was done right there. That's the moment I checked out of the NFL. I mean, the CFL. Mm. Not going to lie. Not going to lie. Because I was so set that I was going down. The, I was going to wherever Trustman was going to go, I was going. You know, because remember, he went to the Bears the next year yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So wherever Trust was going, I was going to Aaron Rodgers hold out my rest of my deal to get me out of my contract to go <laughs> to the States to go with to go with trust i was a trust guy you know so that moment right there changed my football career forever and you guys know i'm a coach's kid yeah. I, be, I grew up on the sideline yeah. you know like I, my dad i was i was boston college when my dad was at boston college i was the ball boy i was hanging out with edron james and ken dorsey you know because i was the ball boy on the other side on the, on the opponent side so i got to see great growing up I got to work out with greats. I got to train, catch passes from people who went on to, to live life. Football had been my life my entire career. And I knew I wanted to get back to the NFL to try it again. And when that happened and my season was over, that's when I checked out. So I, I so what happened was I went after surgery, I would have to go to the to to the stadium to get uh physical therapy with uh the trainers and I couldn't go to practice. Remember, we used to take that bus from Olympic Stadium all the way to St. Leonard, Leonard or whatever. Yeah. I wonder. So it's like, yo, why would I go? I'm like, why would I go out to practice? I can't do anything. I can't rehab on the sidelines. I'm in a freaking knee brace. I went to Tressman and I go, coach, I come in. I do my PT. I'm never late. I go hard. Instead of me going to practice and sitting in the stands, can I enroll and Montreal School of Performing Arts. I want to start talking, taking acting classes. Hadn't even, didn't even finish my sentence. He said, do it. Didn't even finish my sentence. Said, do it. So that off season, I moved, I went to uh, New York and I signed that deal knowing, telling myself, I got two years and then I'm out. Mm -hmm. I want to get into TV. Because once you, once you, as an athlete, you ask any athlete on here. And as you guys continue with this podcast, ask athletes, like, tell them, when, you, when the game left your body, when you don't have that love for the game anymore, you can't fake it anymore, Cliff. Like, you can't fake that anymore. Like, you can't go through training camp. Your body sore is, is I don't know, like, sore as heck. And you're like, I hate this stuff. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, that, that can't be in your head. That can't be in your head. So, the next season, my rehab didn't go as well as I wanted. And I came back 2014, and I just wasn't – I wasn't as good. I wasn't as sharp. I remember we signed Jeff Tis- Tisdale. Tis was locking me up all during training camp. And they are like, yo, he took the wavy away from wavy. Like, I remember Oof. that. But I still fought through it that year. And that's when Deron Carter came and took my shine. Like, everybody said, yo, Deron Carter came and destroyed wavy. Like, people were like, you know, because I didn't play that much that year. And they were, they were letting Duran. Duran was playing well that year. So it was like that. It was, you, you feel it. You felt it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you knew. You knew when it was time. So 
I'm just glad that I was able to like be able to do Montreal School of Performing Arts and then move to LA in my off season, move to New York, model or keep modeling and do this, do that. You know what I'm saying? Like I was just I was a fortunate one, bro. Yeah. I was fortunate. It, it's funny. It's almost as if what happened to you getting hurt was almost you, like we were talking about it before the podcast. That was your Dwayne Johnson moment. You know, he was he was with the CFL for a little bit. He gets cut. You get hurt, but yeah, it's it's gonna it it ends up leading to bigger and better things for you. Yeah, man. Yeah, I, I know it. The end game it led to bigger and better things. But I wanted, I wanted at least, a, oh, it, even if I couldn't, even if I went down to the NFL and got cut, Tressman was like, "No, nah, we'll cut you from the Bears." I still wanted a strong three seasons in the CFL. Right. I'm a competitor, like. You know, and we were having these new, new these new DBs coming up in the league, like the dudes from uh, Ottawa. You know, we get into it with the guys from Ottawa, and then uh, we had Corey Banks and those guys out in, uh, you know, Dante Marsh out in out in BC. You know, and I wanted to compete against them, not only like a hundred percent body wise, but a hundred percent mentally. And it's like when the, when you check out from the game, you just it's it's not the it's not the same, it's not the same. It's like the it, fire. It's, it's not like the same. Fu- man. It's like the fire just goes out, like the, like blowing out a candle. It's just yeah, man. Uh, yeah, man. It's crazy, man. Like I never, I never thought that I was being a coach's kid. I always, and you know, my sister plays women's professional football, so everyone in the family, and then my younger sister, she's an athletic trainer, you know, in college, you know. So we we grew up where it's like this is my life. You know what I'm saying? So the walker to, to be like, yo, I want to walk away from this. I cried, bro. I cried, cried, I cried, I cried. You feel like you lost your like best friend. You feel like you lost the love of your life. And you're looking at it like, you, why don't you love me no more? Like, why would I get hurt? If I'm having the best season of my career, why would I get hurt? Like, how? You know what I'm saying? Like, you're sitting there on the ground. And I'm crying in the locker room. SJ came up to me. Brian Bratton came up to me. They're all there. And it was like, I'm asking SJ. I don't know. He'll remember this. I'm like, why? Why? What did I do, bro? I'm like, what did I do? What did I do? It was crazy, man. It was crazy. But this, at that moment, it was like Space Jam when all your powers just leave your body. Yeah. It's a feeling that unless you've been there and you've done it, it's, it's you, can, you can imagine what it's like, but you just can't really truly understand and appreciate that sort of sentiment unless you've you've actually lived that yeah but i think we all feel it in life you know i think we all have something you know i just i just i just look at football football is like a microcosm of what actually goes down in life in that sense we all have that locker room that community per se in the sense of we got our you know whether it's work friends or we got our community where it's whatever it is we're involved in that makes us feel alive you know, I just happen to get paid for it, you know? Mm. So that thing where it's like, I can't do this, whether it's something athletically or whatever, like I can't do this anymore because my body, my mind, or I got to move or even finances doesn't allow me to do this anymore. But I effing love it so much. When you got to walk away from that, that shit hurts, man. And I know, I, I know I don't want to say like regular people, but people who haven't played professional sport, I know they feel the same thing, man. Like it, it sucks, man. That feeling, that feeling sucks. Now talking about feelings, let's talk about like, we talked about the lowest of the lowest, but let's talk about the highest of the highs. And for you, it had to be 
the distinction of being one of the few players at the time to have both a Super Bowl ring and a Grey Cup ring. Talk to us about that championship feeling on both sides of the uh, both sides of the equator, if you will. Oh man, like it was. It's, it's something where you know I always when people tell me, "Oh, you got a Super Bowl ring, you got a Grey Cup ring." Me, humbly, I always say I didn't play in either game. You know, like the CFL one, the Grey Cup was 2010. I, I came up there, like I said, Jim Pop was like, "You ain't playing this year, bro. We hiding you." And then the, the, the Giants thing was uh, I was on the practice roster, so I didn't play in the game. But I really – but both – I still a part of the – I still, like, I earned it both because with the Giants, I had to be Randy Moss, T.O., Donald Driver. I had to be the number one receiver of whoever it is that we were going against. And I had to go against Corey Webster, Sam Madison, R.W. McCorders. I had to go against that defense every day. So I took – when we won, when there, oh, there's a story I tell all the time. When the Giants, 20, my year, 27, 2007, Corey Webster jumped that route on Donald Driver, and he, he, he picked off Brett Favre's last throw as a Packer. We had worked that route all week. We worked that formation. And the Tuesday, I caught that ball on him. He, he, like, he slapped his hands like, oh, I knew it. I got to get that. And he slapped me on the butt and was like, good catch, B. London. That Friday, he played me even closer, and I still caught it. But then that Sunday, they ran it early. They, that Sunday against Green Bay, they ran that same play earlier in the game. Brett Favre went somewhere else. But C-Dub, or Webby, I call him Webby. Webby was like, I was all over it. Fourth quarter, he threw it. Webby picked it. I went out with the, DB, the DBs, and, and you know what? This is, you can play this, so I won't, I won't give, like, full, like, I won't give everything that happened that night. The DBs had a huge party that night. Let's just say that. It was called DB Night. Aaron Ross, uh, Kevin Dockery, R-Dub, they had a party. They invited me to DB Night, and they were like, because you got us ready. Each week, B. London, every week you came to play. You came to get us ready. That feels so, that, that felt so good even when i see webby even when i see doc see r dub jabril wilson they still to this day when we're all around talking you know telling stories about that year you know they could be like strahan had this sack or oc had this monster game and you know and it comes to b london they'd be like one thing about b london that boy he was he was gonna run he was gonna get his rate because i was gonna compete man like so even though I didn't fit, even though I didn't play in that actual Super Bowl game, when that deep ball to Randy Moss went incomplete, I stormed the field like I scored the winning touchdown because I'm like, yo, I was Randy Moss these two weeks. We I ran all these routes. They were on Randy all week and all. I caught this ball. Randy didn't catch that ball. You know, you like you feel like you're a part of something, man. Like, and that's the thing, man. That's the thing. And like, I think people need to understand. People, one thing, you know, I do all the fan stuff with the Giants. And one thing I tell them, it's like, before you go shit on somebody and be like, oh, he was a bum, he was a this, he was a this. Before you go talk about that person, just know it's not going to hurt them because that person had experiences that they're going to take for a lifetime. I'm going to tell my kids about, well, when I have kids, I'm going to tell my kids, grandkids and all that about these experiences, you know. And even that troll can be like, oh, you didn't play. What do you mean you got a Super Bowl ring? My, my Super Bowl ring is still real. 
It's the same <laughs> ring Strahan got. If Strahan puts his ring up on Good Morning America, I put my ring up on Daily Blast Live. What? Same carrots, same everything. His number's on there, my number's on there, you know? It's just a feeling, Cliff. Like, guys, like, it's a feeling you just, you can't take away. You you would never be able to erase those memories out of my mind unless, you know, you know, God willing, I hope I never get dementia or anything, but you'd never be able to erase those memories. Now, what about, now what about being part of the team that effectively ended the perfect season for Tom Brady and the Patriots? Yeah, man, I felt like you feel part of that. Like I said, I was, I was Randy Moss, what, week 16? You know, remember that, remember that beat ball he caught? like the game winner week 16 to beat us. Yep. I, I caught that. I caught that doing practice too. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I did it as you know, I did it too. And I understand, you know, Alan Iverson voice practice. We talk about practice, but it was what people don't understand. Like there's 53 on the roster. Right. And then back then it was only eight practice squad. I know that practice squad has been bumped up now, but if you're a practice squad guy, you're, you don't people don't like you're like the you're like a behind the scene you're you're like a PA in TV you're a production assistant you run go get the call like I had to go get the donuts for the receivers I had to do all that but I was coming out of UMass man like you know like even Victor Cruz his rookie year you know like where well, he they they put up there where well, he balled out but they put he had to go on IR but you know you coming from a school like that you got to catch up you got to, these dudes, they've been at the Alabamas and the, the old misses. You got to catch up. So the fact that I stuck around, I was the only practice squad guy that stuck around with the Giants that entire year. Only three undrafted free agents stuck around the entire year. Two played, two made the team, and I was the only practice squad guy. I don't think people understand, like, if you get a, you got an ankle injury, you're down for a day, you're cut. They're bringing somebody else in. So to me, it showed I got a chance to show I'm durable. I can run. I can play and coach. I am I am willing to learn. Teach me everything. I used to sit in sit in an offensive uh, offensive line meeting. I want to learn blitzes. Eli in the meetings would talk about, hey, if you see this, if we see this, you got to do this, you got to do that. I didn't know what the freak he was talking about. My my offense in college, it was just like. Throw it to this guy. Throw it to this guy. Run the ball. So now you got to run hots and sights and blitzes. I yeah yeah. I I took I took advantage of all that, yo. I took advantage of all that. I've never looked back and be like, oh my, I wish I did this or I wish I didn't do that. Nah, I took advantage of it all. They show love. That's what it's all about: being a student of the game and learning your learning your craft. Tell us about how you got into TV, and uh, as I said at the at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, how you how, how are you looking to become that star that everybody knows your name? Ah, Montreal School of Performing Arts, man. Like I said, when I got hurt, I had already like like I had already done some modeling when I was with the Giants, and then when I was in the when I was playing with the Dolphins, Bill Parcells, he ended all of that. <laughs> <laughs> there was like there was a huge on the Miami Herald because I walked BET Richter one way. They had a huge picture of me modeling. And Bill Parcells and Tony Sperano, uh, rest in peace, uh, T.S., um, called me to the office and was like, uh-uh. And I remember vividly, Bill Parcells goes, who are you trying to be, T.O.? <laughs> and I was like, and from there, the modeling was 
done. I'm like, man, no more blue steel, no more pitchers, no more high cheekbones, none of that. So, <laughs> so it was uh, that bug was always in me because it got planted in me when I was in New York, you know. Yeah. So when I went up to when I got hurt in Canada, I was like, you know, I've done modeling, I've done national campaigns as a model, done a little commercial here or there. Let me let me see what else is out there. So I did that. You know, you move to L.A., you move to New York, you get around people. I started taking classes and all that, and that bug hit me. So in 2015, when I retired, the day before I was supposed to go to Montreal, and I remember because I have an Instagram post. You guys go back to June of that year. Look at my Instagram. There's a post with me with all my bags packed, and the caption is like, getting ready for the great migration. You know, we're migrating north. It was time. I got called by this show in Hollywood. It was like, hey, we saw your reel, and all, everything on my reel was from what I shot in, 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 in Montreal. I used to shoot my own web series, Jersey Off, Suit Off, with uh, Jersey On, Suit Off, with Darren Diedrich was my camera guy. You know, my, you know, my teammates would be my camera and audio guys. But mm-hmm. spending that time in, in, in L.A. and New York, I had to brand myself. I had to do something. You know, I, I created Cultured Athlete when I was hurt sitting in a special teams meeting, sitting right next to Billy Parker and Billy Parker's looking at my notebook and he's like, Bilan, pay attention. I'm like, why I got to pay attention? I'm not playing. I'm hurt. Why do I have to pay attention? So I'm doodling and I'm drawing things. I'm like cultured athlete. And he goes, yeah, that's dope. That's dope. So I ran with it from there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, 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 uh, when I, so I went out to LA to test, and I missed the first two, three days of camp because Fox wanted me, the network wanted me to test for the show. So they flew me out to, to Montreal that entire week, that entire week. All I'm thinking about is TV because it was my first taste of like a big time production. Ultimately, they didn't, you know, they were like, oh, you're, you know, you're green, you know, maybe come back in a year, blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, whatever. But then they called my manager, my agent manager and was like, hey. We really like Brandon. We'll bring him in on a developmental deal, you know? And it's like, we'll bring him in. We'll try and work with him on teleprompter and all because I struggle on prompter. And they're like, if he gets ready, we'll sign him. So, but this happened after I retired. Yeah. So <laughs> here's the story. So we were, I'm not going to say who, but we were smoking. We were smoking weed out in Sherbrooke uh, one night after practice. We smoking, we high as, I'm high as I don't know what, bro. I get back to the, to the dorm room. I'm laying down and this is a true story. This is a true story. I'm laying down. I see a white flash in my eyes. I hear a voice that says it's over and I start crying. And I'm sitting there like, this is some strong ass Canada weed, boy. Cause I am <laughs> gone right now. I'm like, what is going on? But I'm crying. I'm like, all right, I'm good. Wake up the next morning, go through my normal routine, go to breakfast and all, go down, get tape, go to practice. We had the two a days. That's when we had the back to back two a days. Mm-hmm. You, you remember that, Cliff? You have a two, you have a practice. Ten minutes, get some oranges, and then go back out to practice again. I had yeah, that's a two right. a day. I had like I had like ten. 10, 11 catches that day, practice ends, we're stretching down, we're stretching down, I start crying when we're stretching down, I start crying, I'm like, what the freak is going on with me, like, what the freak is going on, you know, crying, 
that same voice, same voice said it's over. And I'm like, wait, what? It's oh, like I'm. I kid y'all not. And I wouldn't hide because we just did two practices. Yo, I went to Ace. I pulled him to the side. The receivers were walking off the field. I went to Ace. I'm like, yo, Ace, I can't do it no more, man. Like, I'm done. He's like, wait, what? Like, everybody's like, yo, you just had like ten catches. Like, what are you doing? You just had a great practice, two practices. Like, what are you doing? I, I don't know. Like, I, I was just, I'm done. So he's like, let's go talk to Tom. Went to Tom. Tom tried to give me that whole spiel. I, I, blah, blah, blah. I killed. Then they were like, go talk to Pop. I went to Pop. And Pop sat me down like a man. Because Pop has always treated me like a man. Pop, even to this day, will reach out to me. I see him when he comes to the Giants. Pop has always been like the big homie to me, man. Like, I love that f- guy. Pop was like, look, this is what we do. I'll give you the, I'll give you the night off. Come to me in the mar- Come to me tomorrow morning. Tell me what you feel. That night, I called everybody, called friends, called my agent. like, no, I still got some football in me. I still think I can do it, blah, blah, blah. But my agent was like, yo, L.A. is, you know, this show is talking like, if you come out here, it's not a guarantee, but there's a shot. Mm-hmm. I had to do it. I had to do it, man. I had to do it. I walked away from six figures to go and fall on my face. I didn't even get picked up by that show. I got, I got, yo, I went like, it was the worst. It was like the worst year of my life in the sense of what you could have, like what you could have done compared to where I was having to like do workout classes. I was having to do all these odd jobs to make it in LA. But one odd job led me. So I was, I was, I was training. I was, you know, training like in Malibu at a place called Drive Cardio. And it's like high clientele. I was training people. I did a class on a Sunday. And this woman came up to me and was like, you have this great personality. I heard you say you play professional football and TV now. Like, send me your reel. I'll send it over to Babette Perry of Innovative Artists. She's a really good friend of mine. And if she likes you, maybe she takes the meeting. If she doesn't, you know, then, you know, I tried. But, you know, good luck. I was like, all right, sent her my reel. It was all Montreal stuff. From, there was no professional anything on it. It was all me interviewing teammates at Joverse or fashion shows or doing stuff, you know, because I modeled when I was up there in uh, in Montreal with Lauro and Co. You guys should check that place out, too, in Little Italy, Lauro and Co. Um, so they took the meeting, and then I went, and they signed me. A month later, I got the Giants gig because my agent was best friends with the executive producer of Giants TV, and they were like, oh, we remember Brandon from rookie year. Like, he always had all this personality. Bring him in. Let's uh, bring him in and let's, you know, let's, let's see if he can, you know, let's see what he can do. And my thing, the reason why I wasn't getting jobs, the reason why I didn't get Hollywood Today Live was because I couldn't read prompter, yo. Like, I questioned, I've questioned myself a million times, like, can you read? Are you illiterate? Because that prompter was destroying me <laughs> at times. But then during that year, that year when I was like, it was the worst year of my life because I was putting so much money into getting media coaching. I was getting so much media coach. I was doubling up on classes per week. And I was spending like $1,000 on classes per week. Four grand a month on classes. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and prompter readings and all that. So when I got to that Giants gig, I killed it. I killed it. And I got signed by the Giants. 
life's changed since then. So it's funny how the Giants gave me my football start and they gave me my TV start. So when I tell all the CFL, all the guys who are like, yo, I got to go up to the CFL, blah, blah, blah. Don't come to me and be like, oh, don't come to me whining like you got to go to the CFL. You better f- embrace that stuff because if you don't go up there and not only take advantage of it, then just go back to the States and like, just, 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 just go, go do what you do, bro. Because up there, people up there are trying to make money for their families, man. People up there are living that dream. They're gone up there to they take that great migration, as we call it, to live their dream. Don't disrespect my league like that, because that league gave me Montreal School of Performing Arts, the Montreal Alouettes, gave me my start for life after. And if you're not thinking big picture, don't go up there. That's what I say. So that's the story, man. You know, it may not be as sexy as Dwayne Johnson's story. And I know, you know, he's richer than me. But if the CFL and the XFL do some sort of collaboration, I better be a part of that. Because I feel like I am. I, I, bro, it's funny, but I feel like I'm, I'm I feel like like I'm 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 a story. I'm a CFL success story. Yep. Yeah. Not just football wise, but just life, man. Yep. Like I'm trying to teach these kids life. Football is just a short period of your of your life. You gotta like while you're up there, learn some stuff. Learn some like eat the poutine. Like try mm-hmm. some stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. get out of your freaking get out of your comfort zone and go live life. Cool. So so I guess what I'm taking from this more than anything else is you can read a defense, but you can't read a teleprompter. No, I used to not be able to read a teleprompter. <laughs> now I'm reading my eyes closed now. Uh, but back then Back then, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I was terrible. But now, with all the practice, you know, all the live shows we do, like, yeah, prompters, prompters, nothing, though. Prompters, nothing. But you know, you got to confront your problems, right? Yeah, you got to confront true. your weaknesses. Same thing as football. Brandon, can't thank you enough for being a part of this. So loved hearing these stories. We got to get you back on again. And yes, as if the CFL and XFL do do a collaboration, you definitely definitely have to be a part of it my man absolutely and cliff 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 man like you you've been a down one since day one man like i don't think you understand like the support that you show players i don't think you understand what that means to us bro like i don't think you understand that so when the next generation comes in the next alouette comes in like keep showing that love man like some may be like who is this guy you know that guy man like but a lot of us text you back a lot of us will hitch dm you back and all because we understand you are right there at training camp practices regular season practices games you had your jersey on you had your pop belly like you ain't done a sit-up since 2003 but you're there bro like you're 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 one of those people that make us feel you're one of those people that make us feel worse leaving our family for six months you know what i'm saying Y'all keep this shit going, man. I no way I let the CFL die, bro. All right, all day, every day, my man. All day, every day, man. I I like talking to Brandon. I, I don't think I had talked to Brandon since he was with the team, but it was actually good to hear his thoughts and how he reacted to some of the some of the things that he was talking about. So it's it's really cool to talk to uh, uh, to an Alouette's alumni and get to hear their point of their what their career is like. Absolutely, and man, he's a, he's had a quite the journey as far as being a football player goes. I mean, like to go from being a Super Bowl champion with like, with the Super Bowl winning team in the New York Giants 
to going into a Grey Cup winning championship with the Alouettes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's been a heck of a ride for him. And to see what he's been doing outside of football after his, he decided to call it a career, outstanding. I mean, the dude's just killing it. And you know, it, sooner or later, you're going to see him in Hollywood and really become a massive star. I mean, it all in due time. And <laughs> I know things have kind of slowed down a little bit as far as the CFL-XFL talks go. But uh, if there did ever happen to be a merger one of these days, Brandon Lennon would have to be like it's one of the faces, if you will, like whether it be an analyst or a host or something like that, you could definitely see him killing that role as well. So again, we, we can't thank Brandon enough for coming on to the flight deck and joining us. It was absolute blast chatting with him. Miss the guy. I miss when he comes to Montreal and hangs and all that. But uh, Brandon, thanks again for joining us on the flight deck. You're definitely welcome back anytime you want. And I'm definitely looking forward to seeing you do more football stuff, even if it does happen to be down in the States. Yeah. A um, couple of quick things. Uh, one of the things that I've been wanting to do for a while, finally set up a YouTube page for us for uh, on uh, on YouTube. Uh, don't we don't have the YouTube slash Alouette's flight deck yet. Uh, you will have to go through um, our links page over to alouette'sflightdeck.ca, or you can just do a search. You can do a search. Um, but we put up. The first uh, first video that we put up was the interview that Cliff and I did uh, while we were standing underneath the stands at Percival Molson at 29, uh, 2019 training camp. Um, yeah, it's if you didn't hear it when we first did it, you, make sure you go you go back and listen to it because even even uh, Vernon uh, commented about it, you know, talking about where he was to where he where he ended up now. So um, it's a good listen, but we hope to have more. Uh, more interviews on there from the past and then obviously we're going to have full episodes of the flight deck also available over on youtube yeah that just opens up so many possibilities i mean going like youtube live and uh, some of the other things that we've we've talked about wanting to do like for example being on the flight deck of the alouettes plane and doing a, a show from there i mean i can see that's us streaming happening. that on that's happening <laughs> See, and what better way to do that like that's the kind of thing you have to put on youtube so i mean folks if you if you get a chance like tim said Look for Alouette's Flight Deck on YouTube. Subscribe. Mm-hmm. Give us a like if you can. Like, same idea as what you, we do here with the podcast. I mean, like, there's definitely plenty of ways to listen to the podcast. And now if you want to do, go into the whole YouTube thing, I mean, like, this is something that I'm really excited about us being able to do, especially as the season gets underway. I mean, like, there's so many possibilities for us to, to really explore this avenue. And we'd really like you folks to come on board with us for yeah. that. And also, my thought is we were talking about it at the beginning of the show about, you know, ramping up and what the team seems to be doing when it comes to starting up the season. Um, you know, with the Alouettes uh, having, uh, the Alouettes Boutique having available where season ticket holders can go pick up, you know, you can, you can go pick up your 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 gift, your 2020, 2021 season ticket gift. Uh, they've added some new swag to their boutique. And even though it may not be currently open to the public, you can still go over to the website yeah, boutique.montrealowitz.com and check out the new stuff. And obviously, if you're a season ticket holder, you have that extra extra discount burning a hole in your pocket. You might as well go ahead and use it uh, because uh, they seem to be adding stuff uh, uh, ever so often. So uh, make sure you support local support for them uh, over at the, the boutique. And, uh, you know, uh, if you happen to go there to pick your stuff up, let Joni know that uh, uh, the uh, Tim or Cliff from the Alowitz flight deck said, hey. Absolutely. 
Uh, also, just a, a quick plug itself too. So, so many plugs mm-hmm. for the. Uh, we have some new merch which we've gotten some great uh, feedback on over at our uh, over at our merchandise store, which is at teespring.com slash stores slash Al's Flight Deck. Um, you know, uh, just the other night, it was nice to hear uh, uh, Andrew over at the uh, uh, Turf District podcast give us a, basically a shout out uh, for, for our merch and stuff like that. So, uh, hey, if they can notice it, so can you. So if you want to rep the, uh, the podcast in any way, including, and Cliff, I don't know if you've seen it, you can now get, if you want to have a, uh, have a toast with us, you can now get your very own Alouette's Flight Deck Pint. I mean, what better way to be, especially too, if the first few games, if we're going to have to watch them at home, have, why not pour yourself a tall, frosty beverage inside an Alouette's Flight Deck logo pint? I mean, how, how gorgeous is it, first and foremost? And second of all, what better way to enjoy Alouette's football? If you, and if you still have to watch it for, at home, which it sounds like it's, we're more than likely going to have to be for the at least the first couple of games of the season is watching the games because they'll be out on the road out in Western Canada. If that's truly the case, what better way to watch the Alouettes play than enjoying a tall, frosty beverage or two from your new Alouettes Flight Deck pint glass? Mm-hmm. It, look, it looks beautiful. Uh, I'm looking forward to actually seeing it in person. Like, I mean, it's just, folks, this, this is the time. Like, check out our, our merch. We've got some great stuff on there. Uh, I, I think we will probably scare up a, another promo code or two uh, before it's all said and done. Oh, but, for sure. Uh, for sure. With the season coming up, I can, I can see one in the horizon. There you go. So, I mean, get on that, folks. Uh, we've even had a few listeners message, well, message us saying that they've ordered stuff off the, the website. We definitely appreciate it. I mean, it's just being able to see the Alouette's Flight Deck logo all over, like it, throughout the Uni- United States and Canada. It's just, it's such a trip. It's yeah. so cool to see. And we definitely appreciate each and every one of you that's supporting the Flight Deck with buying the merch. So, folks, if if you have a chance, like if you don't want to go with the Alouette's and order their their stuff, feel free to come over to our site and order as well. Yeah. But order from everybody. I yeah. mean, like, as, like Tim said, support local businesses. Exactly. Like that's really what it comes down to is, you know, we, we definitely appreciate each and every one of you listening to the Flight Deck. And if you want to support our merch, we'll, we give you all the props in the world for that. Yeah. And lastly, uh, we talked about the, the giveaway that we're going to do if we can get our Twitter account up to 600 followers. Um, I'm going to put the same thing out for our YouTube page. If you can get our YouTube page up to 100, which will allow us to be able to have that Twitter doc, uh, sorry, the uh, YouTube.com slash, I, I would say Alouette's Flight Deck, we will also give away something. So whichever, if we reach both goals, good. Two things will be given away. But for each, if you can get us up to 100 on on Facebook, uh, excuse me, 100 on YouTube or, or 600 on Twitter, two giveaways. Mm-hmm. So Exactly. So folks, yeah, whatever you like, if you like us, tell tell a friend. That's really what it comes down to: is get the word out, help us get the word out, and uh, get people uh, subscribed, get get them following, everything like that. Like let's let's spread the word and help us. Like I said, we definitely definitely appreciate it. And if you don't like us, well, why have you been listening the whole time? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we appreciate it. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, um, <laughs> we had some. It's funny. Not much. We seem to have. It seems to be our team is in place, but the Alouettes have made some roster moves as of late, haven't they, Cliff? They have. Uh, signing uh, draft picks, which is always a, a good thing because that's to me, that's the sign. If you're signing draft picks, 
that means a training camp is imminent. So that's how I'm taking it. And the Alouettes were, were able to get two of their uh, their recent draft picks uh, signed. Uh, that would be uh, kicker David Cote mm-hmm. and also defensive back or linebacker. I, well, defensive player, we'll just say, because I, I think this kid can play just about anywhere on defense. Uh, Ethan Maconzo. Uh, I'm really excited to see him play because I've seen him and his brother play football, and they're both uh, outstanding athletes. Uh, David Cote, of course, has been one of the more prolific and accurate kickers in the uh, RESQ. So it makes sense that the Alouettes are going to draft both of these players when the opportunity came. And the fact that now they've been able to put pen to paper for both of them is very exciting. Uh, again, uh, the, between that and uh, a couple of the other players that have been signed uh, already like i said guys that are going to the nfl obviously are not going to be signed by the LOS, but uh, the LOS are smart enough to get the players that they know will be playing in canada under contract definitely a good thing so i mean like we we got a, we got a lot of talent on this team and my god I, i'm just so excited to see what training camp is going to hold for this and it really truly does sound like a training camp is going to happen not entirely sure where uh still not entirely sure when but i mean if the league and the Alouettes themselves are saying a football season is going to happen. I mean, I'm choosing to look at the positive and saying, okay, it's going to happen. I mean, details would be nice, but I guess <laughs> all in due time, I suppose. Yeah. But, but details would be nice. I'm just I'm just putting that out there, you know, just kind of speaking it to an existence. Details would be nice. Yeah. If you're listening, CFL, Alouettes. Check any of your uh, so, any of your uh, uh, podcast aggregates. You can find us almost anywhere. Again, uh, head over to our, our new YouTube channel. Uh, just do a search currently for uh, for the Alouettes Flight Deck, and it will pop up. Um, and if you want to listen to any former episodes, you can head over to uh, AlouettesFlightDeck.ca. But keep an eye uh, on our social medias for uh, for anything coming up when it comes to the schedule or anything new like that, because uh, uh, we get a couple of things up our sleeves, and we. Uh, we're going to be uh, uh, we're looking forward to bringing them to you over the next uh, couple of weeks and months, especially as the season ramps up. And again, I'm, I'm choosing to err on the cause the, the I'm cautious, but at the same time, also choosing to be optimistic. Like just as, as we said before, like seeing twenty five hundred fans at the Bell Center for a playoff hockey game tells me that there will be football played. There will be fans in the stands may not be as many as we'd like, but you know what? At least we're move- things are starting to move in the right direction, and I just hope as long as everybody keeps doing what they need to do, as long as the government realizes just that we're we are capable of, you know, doing what needs to be done, I think we'll eventually be rewarded for it. And in this case, the reward's going to be watching the Alouettes play at Percival Molson Stadium this year. Exactly. Um, uh, so uh, for for Cliffy and myself, we hope to be back very soon. Uh, check us out on Twitter. Uh, Cliff is at, at Cliffy D. I'm at Repact. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. So, so everybody here at the Alice Flight Deck for Cliff, I'm Tim Capper. Run final approach. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.